0: All right, well, as we continue through the Gospel of Luke today, I want to begin by playing a game with you. I'm going to give you a character's name from a movie. Some of them started as books and were made into movies. But I'm going to give you a character's name, and then I want you to, in your home there, you shout out the name of the movie, okay? Here's the first one, Scar. I'm guessing you had a lot of kids. If you have kids, they probably just yelled out Lion King. Not Tiger King, entirely different thing, right? (laughs) Very, very different. Lion King, scars from Lion King. Okay, let's do another. Edmund Pevensey. Did you say the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? Okay, that's that's where he came from. All right, this next one, I'll give you two characters from the same, right? Mr. Lovegood, because I can't say his first name. Mr. Lovegood and Peter Pettigrew. Did you say the Harry Potter series? Okay, that's where those guys are from. How about this? Lando and Anakin. Two characters again. Of course, the Star Wars movies, right? All right, what about Saruman and Grima? Or Grima, however you say it. I don't know, because I go with the books on that one, not the movies. That's a different issue. Saruman, obviously, that's the Lord of the Rings series, right? How about this one? Fernan Mondego. Oh, such a great movie. Did you say Count of Monte Cristo? Oh, it's such a great movie. We'll go back in time just a little bit. How about Cypher? Did you guys say Matrix? It's from the Matrix movie. One more. We'll do one more even further back. Fredo Corleone. Godfather, right? Godfather. All right, now, Hope you did well in the game. Here is the bonus question. Ready? Look over that list, and the question is this. What do all those characters in those movies have in common? If you don't know, I'll give you a hint. Benedict Arnold. A2 Brute. Right? They're all betrayers. Do you know? I actually trimmed the list down significantly. Do you know how many of our movies... Have a betrayer character in there? Oh, Shannon hates it. Whenever a a betrayer comes, like betrayal happens in a movie, it just goes right through my wife. She hates it. But it's all over movies because it's very common to the human experience. And what we're going to do today is look at the most famous betrayer in all human history. His name is Judas. So we're in Luke chapter 21. Actually, barely. We're at the very end of chapter 21. We're going to pick it up in verse 37. Look at these verses. And every day he, that's Jesus, and every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. All right, now what's happening there is, remember this is the last week of Jesus' ministry before his crucifixion. And during that week, he keeps teaching in the temple courts. Evidently, at night, he would leave the city of Jerusalem, he'd go outside the walls, to Mount Olivet is right next to Jerusalem. And there are two villages on it, Bethany and Bethpage. And he had friends there. He'd stay at their houses at night. But in the morning, he would then hike back into Jerusalem early in the morning, start teaching in the temple courts again. And the people loved it. They flocked to him. They hung on his every word. They loved it. But the religious leaders were not such big fans. They hated it. I mean, Jesus was quite clearly teaching against them at times. He was challenging the establishment. He was upsetting the apple cart of their religious money scam. They didn't like that. And according to the religious leader's perspective, Jesus was stealing their followers. So they were jealous. They were so jealous that they wanted to get rid of him. I want you to imagine this. Imagine Jesus shows up in 2020 in Stowe, Ohio, and he comes to me and says, hey, Rick, uh, I want your pulpit for the next month. I want to preach here at Redemption for the next month. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh my goodness, I'd say, Jesus, no. How about instead of the next month, how about the next decade or two decades? Like, let's, let's, that would be awesome. That would be so awesome. What if instead I said, no. This is my pulpit. This is my church. This is my platform. This is my stage. This is my influence. This is where I make money. This is mine. No way. If I did that, in that moment, I clearly tip my hand that I don't care about God and his message, and I don't care about you. Because <laughs> let's just agree together, Jesus, Rick, <laughs> like, like, Jesus would be way better, right? But I don't care about you getting the best preaching from Jesus. No, no, no. I care about me. I would have tipped my hand. And that's exactly what's going on 2,000 years ago. So here Jesus is teaching in the temple courts, God in the flesh right there, and they are against it. They're trying to shut it down. So they want to kill him. Uh, It started back in chapter 11 that they wanted to be against him and trick him and trap him. In chapter 14, it says they want to kill him. So they start looking for an opportunity. But there was a thing here where it said, but they couldn't because of the crowds. So you remember, he's surrounded by these adoring crowds that are hanging on his words, loving him. And if they arrest him and kill him right in front of the crowd, they'd have a riot. And they can't risk that. They want the people on their side. So what they need to do is they need to arrest Jesus on the QT, on the down low. But every time they see him, there's all these crowds. They need to have a moment when Jesus is mostly alone, when they can arrest him. But they don't know when that is. What they need is they need some inside information. They need an inside man. They need a betrayer. They need a Judas. So let's continue. The passage continues in Luke 22, verse 3, and it says this. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he considered, excuse me, so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. There it is. Now, to this day, a betrayer is called a Judas. A week ago, Saturday evening, I was coming into the church building. I saw a van at the back of the parking lot, so I went down there to see if it was some of our people, and sure enough, it was. Mom was in the van with the baby, but uh, three young boys were learning to ride bikes uh, outside the van all around our parking lot, and I was on my motorcycle, so I pulled up and interacted with them for a bit. Great little guys. Uh, Their names were Isaac, Noah, and Caleb. Three great biblical names. Strangely, none of them were named Judas. Have you noticed, like, nobody names their kid Judas? I think that would be kind of funny. Like, can I introduce you to my son, Judas? Did you say Judas? Yeah, I named him Judas. Like, nobody does that. Nobody names their kid Judas because this guy is not a good namesake. What happened to Judas? What happened? Well, two things. Something happened on the outside and something on the inside. Let's start on the outside. On the outside, Judas loved money. He was all about money. He had a money idol, a money issue. You read in John chapter 12, verse 6, that Judas was the treasure. So Jesus had this traveling ministry with him and his 12 guys. Other people would go with him. Judas was the treasure, and he was a thief, it says. He he was skimming. He was taking money from a ministry for himself. That's terrible. That's terrible. But he did that. And so what happened is he decided to sell Jesus for a price. 30 pieces of silver. Luke doesn't give that detail. 30 pieces of silver is not a lot, but he sold Jesus out. And if you look at that famous painting called The Last Supper, we'll look at it next week, probably, I think. But uh, if you look at it, Judas is clutching a bag of money. He's all about money. That's what's going on on the outside. And that idol comes into play and he betrays Jesus. But there was something going on on the inside. It it said Satan entered into him. Now what's that mean? Okay, first of all, let me give you just a brief sketch on the Satan thing. Because a lot of you are new to the faith and growing and that's wonderful. So Satan is the devil. He's the devil. He started out as the chief, the top, the archangel. Beautiful, but he he became proud and he didn't want to keep his place. And the only one up from him was God himself. And so he asserted himself against God and tried to lead a rebellion. He led a third of the angels with him in his rebellion. But here's the thing. It's not a fair fight. Okay, It's not like there's two gods, the good God we call God and the bad God we call Satan. No, it's like God and like angels way down there. And Satan was an angel. Top angel, but just an angel. So not a fair fight. So Satan and his angels got kicked out of heaven. Now Satan is called the devil and the angels that went with him are called demons. And what I want you to know about them is this. They're ancient. They are wickedly smart and crafty. And they're evil. They are bent on destroying God's stuff. They'd love to destroy God. They can't. They can't even come close. They don't try. But, what they try to do is destroy God's stuff. That's us. So here, Satan is trying to destroy God's stuff. What did that look like with Judas? Well, the Gospel of John tells us that Satan put it in his heart. I mean, Satan tempted him, gave him the idea, but Judas ran with it. Judas is culpable here. Listen, you are not responsible for the cards you're dealt, but you are responsible for how you play them. And so Satan dealt him a temptation, but Judas ran with it. Judas was not overwhelmed. He wasn't overcome. This wasn't against his will. He was culpable. In fact, in Matthew's account, Jesus says about Judas that it would have been better for him if he had never been born. You see, that's, that's eternal condemnation. Now, when people were overcome by demons against their will, Jesus was very compassionate. But not in Judas' case. He was culpable. He was involved. See, increasingly what was happening is that Judas' heart was walking on the dark side. He was, in a sense, surrounded by Christian religion, but he was dancing with the devil. He was saying, maybe I can have some of this Jesus stuff, but also flirt with a little bit of evil. Maybe I can have both. I'm guessing some of you can relate to that. Here's what I want you to hear. You can't dance with the devil and walk with the Lord. You can't dance with the devil and walk with the Lord. You can't. And eventually Judas had to resolve that tension and he went in the wrong direction and he lost. Think about it seriously. You're going to betray the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Creator, the Savior, and you're going to do it for 30 pieces of silver, and you think you're going to win in that transaction? No. You can't dance with the devil and walk with the Lord. You'll lose. All right, we're going to skip ahead. What I'm going to do is stick with the Judas thread in Luke. And so we'll skip ahead a little bit to the Last Supper. This is a passage that I'll actually uh, unpack for you next week. But we'll jump there because at, at, uh, let me give you just this much for now. Uh, Jesus hid where he was going to do the Passover. It was secret to him and some of the disciples and they got him there. And that was because, I believe, he knew Judas was looking for a place where he would be exposed and alone. The Last Supper would have been the ideal place because it was in Jerusalem, best place to rest Jesus. Keeps it secret because he's like, not yet. I want to celebrate Passover with my guys. And so he keeps it secret. And so they gather in that upper room. They celebrate Passover. We call it the Last Supper now. And uh, at the end of the meal, Jesus was speaking. And he said this in Luke chapter 22, verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Okay, let me just inject something right here. Notice it's woe to Judas, that man. Judas did it. Satan didn't do it. Judas did it. Then it goes on to say this. And they began, the, the disciples, they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Okay, that's interesting. They began to question each other. That means it wasn't obvious to them. Like a good movie, you don't know who the betrayer is in scene one. Right? It's not obvious. It wasn't obvious to them. Like Judas wasn't that slacker disciple that nobody liked. Like he didn't have dark, shifty eyes and like never really got along with Jesus, never really got along with the other 12. That just wasn't it. (laughs) Like it wasn't the case that when Jesus said, Hey, one of you is gonna betray me, like all of them cut their eyes at Judas. They're like, Yep, it's that guy. <laughs> Though that would have been kind of funny. But that's not what happened. Instead, they were saying, wait, what? Are, are you serious, Jesus? Who? Which one? They had no idea. But Jesus knew. Jesus knows. Listen, Jesus didn't come so that everyone would love him. Jesus didn't come to avoid betrayal. Jesus came on a mission to seek and save the lost. For that, he had to die in our place as our substitutionary sacrifice. For that, he had to go to the cross. For that, he had to be arrested. For that, he had to be betrayed. And Jesus said, bring it on. In John chapter 10, we we find out that Jesus said, look, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. Jesus said, bring it on. And he had to be betrayed for that to happen. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit again to the time when he is arrested. This will be several weeks from now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verse 47. Now, it's after the Last Supper. They've left the city. They're at this garden uh, called uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, here's what we read when they come to arrest him. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? All right, so Judas has some inside knowledge. Uh, Evidently, as Jesus went out of the city every day to sleep at night on Mount Olivet, he would commonly go by this garden. He would go in there, uh, a secluded place where he could get away and just pray to his father. It was his habit. Judas knew that. So he leaves the Last Supper and he's able to go get the guards and say, I know where he's going to be, leads them to the Garden of Gethsemane and there they are going to arrest him. Perfect, perfect, perfect plan. Now it is dark out by this point. And a lot of the guards who are coming, they don't know who this Jesus guy is. They wouldn't recognize him. So they prearranged a sign. Judas says, listen, the guy that I give a kiss to first, that's the one, grab him. That's weird to us, but uh, in our culture, uh, men don't kiss men in greeting like that. But in that culture, it was very common practice for men to greet each other with a kiss on the cheek, especially among friends and family. You see, this was a sign of trust. This was a sign of intimacy. And this makes the betrayal that more bitter. Oh, it's so painful. Hurts all the more. Listen, you understand, you can't betray from the outside. You can only betray from the inside. And it's a reality in in this world that the ones who are in closest to you can hurt you the most and often do. See, to really hurt someone you got to be really close to them. And you know what we call that? We call that family. <laughs> Unfortunately, isn't it true? Man, we hurt each other. The ones we love the most are closest to we hurt the most. You know what else we call it? We call it ministry. It's sad. and it hurts at times. I-, I shouldn't be surprised though. We were actually warned about this kind of stuff. In Acts chapter 20, look, look what the Apostle Paul said. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Notice it said, from among your own selves. Folks, the reality is churches are more often wounded from the inside than they are from the outside. It's sad. It's gossip. It's dissension. It's usually, it usually goes unchecked. It's one-sided. The leadership usually doesn't get to respond to it and say, well, here's what really happened. And I, I'm starting to get used to it, but can I just tell you, I never get used to it. Uh, and it does hurt. You've experienced betrayal in some way too, I'm guessing. Whether it's family or ministry or friends, somebody has to be in close to betray you. And it's often the ones that we love and that we serve and they betray and it's hard and it hurts. So let me do this. I want to give you some tips from the passage so far on how to deal with betrayal. Let's look at these together. And the the very first one is don't freak out. Don't freak out. Jesus didn't. The reality is we live in a broken, fallen world, and betrayers will come. Don't be surprised by it. You will get hurt. Know this. When you get betrayed, you're actually becoming more like Jesus. Jesus went there before us 2,000 years ago. He understands, and you can run to him. But notice, when it happened, Jesus expected it, so he didn't freak out. I want you to not freak out. Don't freak out. Number two, don't lash out. Jesus didn't lash out. Jesus loved and served Judas till the end. Till the end. Served him communion or the last supper, the Passover. Washed his feet. He served him. Now, I'm not suggesting that you enable a betrayer or that you justify or rationalize it. No. No, but what Jesus did is he trusted in the Father's judgment, in the Father's justice, and in the Father's timing. Because it ain't over, and it's not the fat lady that sings. It ain't over till the king renders his judgment. And so it is really true that time and truth go together. That's really true. So don't lash out. Trust that to the Lord. And then thirdly, don't chase them down. Notice, Jesus didn't chase Judas down. Sometimes we have to give boundaries. Sometimes we have to have hard conversations, confrontation, not yelling and screaming, the truth in love, gentleness and grace, but we're doing tough love. We're speaking clearly that this is wrong. Now listen, if there's humility, if there's repentance, we forgive, we reconcile. It's a story of redemption. It's awesome. But if not, let them go. Don't chase them down. You have to let them go. Don't lash out. Don't kick him out, but let him go. All right, so there are three don'ts. Here's one last one. It's a do. Do trust in the sovereignty of God. He is working the master story of your life, and his story will not be derailed. So it was with Jesus. There was a betrayer in that story, but it made God's plan work. God has a plan for your life. It's a master's story, and so you can trust in his sovereignty. He is in control. Trust him. Trust him. There's more chapters to come. All right, so there's some ideas, some tips on how you can handle betrayal, but I want to say enough of that. I don't want to dwell on that, and here's why. You ready for the twist? Think of the story of Jesus and Judas. And I want you to find yourself in the story. You see, the problem is so far you think you're Jesus being betrayed. (laughs) Can I just give you a hint? You ain't Jesus. Not even close. Neither am I. We're not Jesus. You know who we are? We're Judas. We're Judas. Ah, this is so painful, but so true. Think of all the information that Judas had, and yet still he chose to go against Jesus. And it's crazy, but we do it. Think of the extreme example of an adulterous affair. People choose to do that. Now, If you go down that road, just know it will destroy you, it'll destroy your spouse, it'll destroy your kids. There will be ripples of painful impact for decades to come. You're going to have to wrestle through custody battles, and what are you going to do about Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and birthdays? And, And you're going to have to share parenting, not just with your ex, but if your ex gets remarried, you share parenting with a stranger, okay? It's terrible. It'll destroy your finances. It it does. It'll wound. It'll wound your reputation. It'll wound your relationship with God. It will wound your relationship with friends and extended family. And then in light of all that, still we go, yeah, I think I'm going to commit an an unadulterous affair. And we choose and do it. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We still do it. It's an extreme example. Uh, There are people in our congregation that have made that choice and have repented and been forgiven and healed. Wonderful stories of redemption. But most of us have not done that. Nonetheless, every time I sin, me, every time I sin, here is essentially what I say. I know God is God. I know God is right. I know God is loving. I know God's intentions for me are pure. I know he created me and saved me and adopted me and made me his own. I know what he wants me to do. I know Satan is real and I know he is bent on my destruction and I know what he wants me to do. I think I'll dance with the devil on this one. Are you kidding me? But every time I sin, that is exactly what I do. You know what? I'm Judas. And so are you. You're Judas. Do you think Judas really thought in that moment that he was destroying his life? He thought he was choosing the best life. He thought, well, I can have a little bit of this Jesus religion and I can mix in a little bit of sell Jesus out. I can hold on to my idol a little bit. Oh my goodness, we're a lot like Judas. We're a lot like Judas. So listen up, Judas. Here's what I want you to know. By the way, maybe that's why nobody names their kid Judas, because it'd be real confusing, because we're all Judas, right? So here's what I want you to know, Judas. Number one, religion won't save you. Think how involved in religion Judas was. He traveled with Jesus, ate with Jesus, talked with Jesus. He was there for all the miracles. He was there for all the teaching. He probably said amen. He had a title and position in the church. Or what it was at that point. He was one of the apostles and he was a treasure. Oh, he was steeped in religion. But that didn't save him. Turns out he never believed. Look, if you will, at John chapter 6, verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus said that. And then parenthetically it adds this. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. There's some of you who do not believe. You see, Judas had religion. He had a ton of it. But he didn't have relationship with Jesus. Not really. He didn't really believe in exactly who Jesus was. What I'm saying, it's not that he lost relationship with Jesus. He never had it to begin with. And that just got exposed. That just got revealed. It didn't become true. It just got revealed as true. You see, when people walk away from Christianity... They don't walk away from Christ because they never had Christ. They only had Christianity. You see that? And religion will never save you. So be warned by Judas' example. Just because you take communion like Judas did, the very first one. Just because you're involved with Christianity. I mean, he was one of the apostles. None of that means it'll save you. So listen up, Judas. Here's the second point. Christ died for your betrayal that's our hope. Not religion, that's our hope. It's a good thing that we have a bloody cross and an empty tomb. It is a good thing that our Lord, our Savior, came and he put up with a betrayer. Not only that, Judas, but this one too. He put up with a betrayer in order to give us the glorious gospel. And that's our hope, that's our faith, not in what we do, but in what Jesus did. He died for your betrayal. It's good news, great news. So thirdly, here's what I want you to do. Repent. Repent. This is how we are unlike the Judas of 2,000 years ago, all right? Judas didn't really repent. He had a moment of remorse. He had a moment of regret. He threw the money back into the temple because they wouldn't take it back, and then he went out and committed suicide, which is not really the heart of submitted repentance before the Lord. In fact, what it says in Matthew 27, he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Not betrayed the Messiah, not betrayed the Son of God, not betrayed the Son of Man. Okay, That was remorse, that was not repentance. And so this is how we can be very different than Judas. Our betrayal is just like him. But let us be big and bold in our repentance. Quit trying to make it seem like you're better than Judas. You're not, neither am I. Let, us, let our repentance be better than Judas. So we got to repent. And then lastly, forgive. Forgive as you have been forgiven. I would have talked about this up on tips on how to deal with betrayal when you've been betrayed, but it probably wouldn't have made sense then. Listen, once you understand that you're a Judas, once you understand that you're a betrayer, it becomes a lot easier to forgive other betrayers. That's what Jesus did. He forgave his betrayer. And now we want to be like Jesus, so we're going to forgive those who betray us because we're just like them. We're Judas too. Forgive as you have been forgiven. All right? So that's what I want you to do. I want you to realize religion won't save you, but good news, Christ died for your betrayal. Repent and then forgive as you have been forgiven. Do that this week, especially as you are cooped up in quarantine. Uh, you probably have some people to forgive, right? So let's pray. Father, we love you. But we have to be honest before you in this moment. My name is Judas kidding me lord i gotta be honest it's true i know what's right i know who you are and yet i sin i betray i turn against you and i dance with the devil and it's stupid i can't believe i do that and yet i do so do these people listening And so, Father, we know we're just like him in his sin. We want to be different than him in repentance. We want to repent and turn from our sin, turn to you because thank you that Christ died for our betrayal. And now would you lead us to be more like him, more like him. Lead us there, Lord, please. And we pray for that in Christ's name.